0: foundation arvind gupta the reason that people are talking about india is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years enjoy this week's show welcome to behind the markets here on business radio powered by the warren school i'm your host jeremy schwartz global head of research at WisdomTree. My co-hosts are Wharton finance professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for our Investors, Li Chen Ren, the director of Modern Alpha at WisdomTree. Please note, I'm registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to WisdomTree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products and the views of our guests are their own and not those of WisdomTree's affiliates. We've got a really great show. We're going to have an extended discussion with Peter Maluk, the president and CEO of Creative Planning. Uh, he was on our show about a year ago. we will get a, one-year anniversary, check back in with Peter, how he's doing, Professor Siegel is going to be with us for the hour to talk what's going on. Professor, uh, had been a straight line up for almost two to three months here, and now we get a little bit of those returns to those 5% volatility days. What's, uh, what's your sense what happened this week?
1: Uh, what was uh, happening has been very common, actually, far before the virus. We have trend followers Momentum players, Uh, you know, uh, you know, on our show, we've been warning about these type of players for several years. They jump on the trend. The trend was up almost every day, Um, and uh, then we got a little bit more speculation, you know, with some of these really other stocks and, and 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 those trend followers. And then anything that breaks the momentum, any slightly negative news, either about the virus or uh, or, or, or an interpretation of the, the Fed's behavior. And we, we, we should definitely, we're going to definitely talk a lot about the Fed. Um, you know, and these people jump off uh, the train. And that's what they did yesterday to give us a, you know, a 6% decline. Um, I think it's temporary. Um, uh, I do not think there's really going to be a second wave. Um, we, can, we can talk about that. That's going to shut it down. Uh, the economy, the economy is definitely uh, is opening up. Uh, I think the liquidity is still there. Um, I have noticed a slight drop off in M1 growth. It has stabilized over the last couple of weeks from tremendous increases for an eight-week period. Uh, the M2 growth, uh, which is a broader money supply, has continued to increase, albeit at a at a slower rate. Um, what I found was very interesting, um, uh, there was actually an article on Bloomberg News today about uh, the tremendous uh, buildup of the Treasury's account at the Federal Reserve, $1.5 an all-time high. This is money that, according to Stephen Mnuchin, our Secretary-Treasurer, is going to be spent by the government, so that money one and a half trillion dollars is going to in the next several months be put into the economy, boosting, um, liquidity once again. Um, and this is no new legislation. This is from uh, bonds that have already been floated by the Fed. So, um, oh, excuse me, floated by the treasury and put on deposit at the Fed. So, um, my feeling is, is that, uh, money is still there, that liquidity is still there. Um, and, um, I do not. I mean, clearly, we can always have a 5%, even a 10% drop um, uh, in a market. But uh, the March lows, I think, are definitely in.
0: Now, we, uh, you mentioned we should talk more about the Fed. We had Powell's testimony. He talked about we're not even thinking about thinking about raising <laughs> rates, so we have this low rates here for quite some time.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be a prized expression uh, you know, like Mario Draghi's Whatever It Takes. We're not even thinking about thinking about raising <laughs> a raising interest. Now, of course, in the scenario that I, that I have laid out um, from the beginning, um, the Fed is going to overstay low rates, and the long rate is going to continue to rise, and finally force the hands of the Fed, hey, you know, you know the economy is strong and prices are beginning to go up you can't stay at zero forever i don't care what your forecast is you know uh you know in june of 2020 uh so i don't believe that forecast um, into 2021 and 22 uh at uh, at all i mean certainly for the first i mean i, I certainly think the next 12 months we could stay at zero but i think the pressure uh is going to be for raising rates uh uh, later on, but still, and this is important, and uh, I was actually on CNBC yesterday talking about this, the rate increase is going to be modest and lagging inflation, um, and so this is not going to be a big negative for stocks um, uh, going forward. In fact, if they don't raise rates, they're going to pump too much liquidity in the economy, and that could be a really negative for stocks, because then the Fed will eventually have to clamp down in a way that has been never good for the stock market.
0: Let me bring in our, our special guest for the hour real quick here. We've got Peter Maluk, the president and CEO of the wealth management firm Creative Planning. He's also an author of The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. Uh, he also co-wrote The Unshakable, Your Financial Freedom Playbook with with Tony Robbins. Peter has been a, a client of Wisdom Trees. Thanks for coming on for the show, Peter. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for having me. Much appreciated.
0: How's your th- sense of, you know, when you talk about those mistakes every investors are making, how is your sense of how investors are behaving today?
2: Oh, I mean, it's, it's almost textbook. I mean, we'll, when we do the second edition of the five mistakes, there, there's going to be a lot of references to what just happened. I mean, you saw record outflows from uh, equities uh, in March. I mean, at the worst time you could possibly have done it. It's, it's almost sad um, I mean it, when I, earlier in my career, I used to think it was comical, and, and now that you start to see the permanent damage that it does to so many people it's it's just depressing that at the worst of times, people make the same mistakes that historically have really caused uh, permanent damage. Um, and so we've seen that one of the you know big mistake, market timing. Another big one is you know gambling with uh, very, very small stocks. that's almost uh, truly become. A joke now. You can see all the day traders on Robinhood buying and selling uh, Hertz, which is bankrupt. I mean, Hertz actually came out and said they're going to issue more stock because there's idiots buying it that will help fund their bankruptcy. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing to just watch the same things repeat themselves over and over and over, but with a different uh, backdrop. It's kind of like watching a horror movie. Every horror movie kind of starts the same way and Ends the same way, and it's the same thing with every every bear market. Um, you just kind of have the the same backdrop. Uh, we know how the story ends,
1: but you Peter, still get scared so right, along the it's way. It's all based on psychology, and psychology doesn't change. That's right. All these emotions that people have, uh, you know, been around for 200 years in markets. Yeah, 2,000. And in, uh, they're, life, not, right? they're not uh, they're not changing. You know, the fear and panic at the bottom, the the maximum bearishness. Uh, at the bottom, the self congratulations uh of those who sell before the bottom, watching all the the bottom then fall another ten fifteen percent, and then never getting back in as the market rises forty percent we 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 talked about that in in March i mean that's one of the biggest failures is is uh, some of the people who are oh they're geniuses they got out you know early in March before the collapse they're they're not in and and now they're fifteen to twenty percent uh, behind the buy and hold investors.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, it's Peter, just, how do you same, same thing?
0: Sorry, how, how do you reach out to these? Uh, you know the younger generation through the people going to Robinhood. The sort of day—I don't know—the day traders may not be exactly who you're trying to target, but are, are you trying to target these people who who need more help with that? Well, you know, I actually the Robinhood
2: traders like that are the the ones that are very young and starting out. I actually consider this. I mean, it's, uh, it's a it's a good learning experience. You know, to really feel that high of having something happen and attribute it to, to skill, and then watching when something goes wrong and realizing that. One strikeout can can offset a whole bunch of home runs if you if you allocate too much. It's it's almost better than a college course on investing to really experience it. And and if you're doing it with small dollars and when you're younger, that's great. The people I worry about are, are more like our clients. They've been they've they've they have more money or they've saved their whole lives and or they've saved for ten, twenty, thirty, forty years they've built up big portfolios those are the folks that when they make a mistake it's really 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 damaging and you can't recover from it and so you know from our perspective with our clients we we're actually talking to them and running projections with them and showing them why they're covered in the short run no matter what happens with the markets and so on so we're really able to implement a plan and carry them through um, carry them through a, a severe contraction uh because they have a certain amount in high-quality bonds to meet their short-term needs. They know that. They know there's going to be a bear market. All these things they they know from working uh, with us. Um, but if you look at where the really big mistakes are made, I think it's just kind of that person that's busy with work, and then all of a sudden they're in quarantine, they're watching TV all the time, there's nothing to do but watch TV. It's horrifying. And they make a mistake in late March or early April or whenever. Pick pick the date in the middle of all of that, And they had a million dollars, and now they have 750, and that's it. You know, they go back in today, but that gap is gone. Uh, Those are the people that I think where it's really tragic what happens in each cycle. To Jeremy's point, it never changes. It just – because the psychology doesn't uh, doesn't change. I think you could overcome a little bit of it with education. You know, the more that you learn, the more that you know what's happened in the past, the less likely you are to make a mistake, but it's good to, you know, understand your own – Biases and your emotions and whether you could handle it uh, if it happened again, if you were smart enough to go through this pullback and recover, but you were extremely uncomfortable and on the brink a few times you 're not in the right investments, and you should revisit your allocation because things could have gotten a lot worse uh, than they did. We kind of got lucky uh, with how quickly some of this resolved itself um, and and so if you weren 't comfortable in late March and you were on the brink of selling and you didn 't good for you, but re- revisit what you own. While the market's up a little bit from there
1: peter that one reason I wrote the book stocks for the Long run is exactly what you're saying. I <laughs> think give people a historical perspective of yep. of of bear markets and, and 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 uh and sticking and sticking through these people um, i i um, i i've been often asked um, and actually it's it's a uh, it's almost a uh economic Profession conundrum: Why is the equity premium so high? That's uh, why do people earn so much more long run in equities than any other asset, particularly fixed income? And uh, I've now come to the: uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of models you can build, some which have a lot of truth to it, but uh, I think one of the best answers is because you have to live through periods like this if you're a long term equity investor. And you've got to be compensated for living through periods like the bottom of the financial crisis in in March 2008, like the bottom in March of this year. And we can go back every 10, 15 years into the past. Your long-term investor yeah, you know, you you have, and if you're the, the closer you watch things, the worse you are because the tendency, as you as you said at the beginning, is to do exactly the wrong thing. And and the news is always the most alarming. Um, you know, stop watching the news, um, and 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 and, uh, and focus, and uh, you know, focus on what history
0: has shown that you can do, and. Uh that's, that's Peter, that let, me fo- let me follow up on that uh, question, Peter, because I know you just did a podcast with Jonathan Clements, uh, one of your directors of financial education, on the challenge for investors with, with fixed income. And, and Professor, you were talking about the equity premium of stocks over bonds. But how do you see the role of fixed income today, given historically low rates and, and how you how that's shifting your recommendations on asset allocation, if at all? I
2: I want to answer that, but I want to piggyback a little bit on on Jeremy's comments about the equity premium. I tell clients you should be thrilled that there are things like the that the pullback that we just went through, or a Greek debt crisis, or an 0809, or that typical correction that happens about every 12 months, because without that, so much money would pile into stocks that you wouldn't get a better expected return. It's because Mm -hmm. of these things that you get the higher return. And so, if we move to a world um, and I can't—I can't remember if it was 2016, or there was a year where every month the market went up just a little bit. If that was really the way this you know stocks worked all the time, there would be no premium. So you're—you've got to be thankful—thankful uh, thankful that you have this—and um, really kind of change your mindset—mindset mindset around it. We need ever—you need a whole bunch of people to be scared out of equities to be getting the premium if you're—if you're, if you're exactly. in them. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah if everyone but, knew this and were long run, the stock market might be uh you know much after i after i published stocks are long run that was actually remember kevin Hassett, um you know wrote a book called dow 36000 he said jeremy your logic is so good you know the the dow sh- this was the time when the dow was later 9000 the dow should be 36000 given the return on equities and he he thought you know it would it would get there and i said no nope, it's never going to get there because people are just not going to tolerate it <laughs> these yep. these downturns and they're going to stay out of it, and you're you know you're more likely to to get that historical return. But yeah, that that was uh, that was the source of that book, Dow thirty six thousand.
2: Yep, that's right. Um, yeah, to your question earlier about bond yields, I think what's really been interesting, and this is the story. You know, every every severe market pullback, it leaves a legacy that changes things for a long, long, long time. And I think that the one out of this one uh, is going to be bond yields and expected returns from bonds and how to think about allocations. You know, uh, 20 years ago, people talked about 50 50 and 60 40 portfolios, and then it became 60 40. And then uh, maybe five, 10 years ago, people moved to 70 30. And I think even 70 30 today. I don't know what I mean, many people think they're going to get 7-8% from that. That's not happening probably. I mean, you're going to have to if you're going to have a huge part of your portfolio in bonds and the real return from bonds is going to be around 1%, you're going to have a very hard time getting to where you're going. And so I think once everything settles down here, people are going to look up and go, "Wait a second, you know, we know bonds have been going down a little bit all the time for the last 30 years, but have we gotten to a point or we expect nothing from them and how does that change the way uh, we allocate across different asset classes i think you could own a bunch of bonds and a bunch of stocks and have the return not be that different for most of the last many decades over over those longer periods of time not going to be the case uh going forward and i think it's going to really change the way people have to think about their allocations
1: yeah, I mean absolutely true. I mean, yeah, you know, you you—it's a 39-year bull market in bonds. Um, when the 10-year Treasury was at 16 percent, now the 10-year Treasury is at 70 basis points. Um, yeah. You know, I I said that the March low of I guess 59 basis points is is going to be for years the low we're going to look back on. Um, if not exactly that date, I, th- I think this year will be the low and in in terms of real yield uh... peter i actually i the, the real year yield now on the ten-year tips is less than a half minus a half a percent less yeah. than minus a half percent i mean if you go into corporates you can get a little you know you'll get a little bit higher but um... if you go into treasuries now you're not even going to get zero real return i mean that's already locked in Um the only i mean uh, the only, yeah, okay it's not locked in if you can get capital gains i mean if the interest rate goes down if we go down to European levels, <laughs> um, Germany is minus half percent on its uh, 10-year nominal bond. You know, under those circumstances, you know you will get a little bit better on that. Yeah. But the dividend yield on the S&P at two percent, the dividend yield on dividend-paying stocks at nearly three percent, depending on how you calculated it, um, it's it's uh, where I believe the income is going to go i agree with you hundred percent that's where you're going people are going to have to find income in the future um and actually that harkens back to you know most of the 19th and early part of the 20th century um you know it was only when interest rates on bonds on treasuries were rising six seven eight nine percent people would say oh my god i can get higher on bonds than i could on yep. stocks so i have to get capital gains blah 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 no longer the
0: case so, Peter, how do you suggest the bond portfolios? I, I I heard you talk going up in quality is important to you when you think about, sure, sort of the high yield market versus the investment market, investment grade and in, in treasuries. How how do you how do you default to thinking about that for people? Well, I think if you're, to me, the sometimes people look at investments and go, "What can I get
2: here for the risk?" But you also have to look at, well, these are real people with real needs, and how do I meet their needs? Right. So if we, if I've got a client and they're sixty and they're gonna retire when they're sixty five and they have to have a certain amount of money show up in their bank account every day regardless of what's happening i've got to find a way to meet those needs and no matter what we all think about the stock market and what's going to happen with the coronavirus and will be their second will there be a second wave or not um, i mean no one knows with certainty plus other stuff happens right if there was no coronavirus at all there'd still be a almost twenty percent chance there'd be a bear market when these people retire, just because they happen all the time uh for various reasons uh, and frankly i I've, I'm in the camp where I feel like we've been very, very fortunate with how these bear markets have spread themselves out. I mean, can you imagine you know the nine eleven bear market on top of a bear market like this, or the coronavirus bear market on top of the oh eight oh nine uh, bear market? How unfathomable uh, that would be? But things happen you know, every five years or so. They don't nicely space themselves out, and you have to be prepared to meet the person's needs from that. Well, no matter how good the stocks are and how much dividends they pay, they could be down 50% because of what, whatever happens with the stock markets. We've got to meet their needs. So you have to have some way to do that. Bonds is the easiest way for the average investor to do that. But if you own high-yield bonds or you own even uh, a, you know, a step above that with corporates, I mean, you were down double digits uh, in March. And so if you're making a withdrawal in March to meet your needs and it's double-digit di- double losses, well, this time it didn't last, but what if those double-digit losses stayed that way for a year? You really have to have high quality to meet at least that first year and then bonds to meet the next three or four years. So that no matter what's happening when you're in retirement, you're covered there. And then most of your portfolio, hopefully, hopefully, you have enough money that still the vast majority of the portfolio – can be on the equity side.
0: Now, um, you know, positioning for where things have come today. You know, you got you have new clients coming in. How, how are you suggesting them get invested? Is it, if, is it somebody who's you know? Or do you try to transition the portfolio? Do you try to position for a recovery? What is your you know overall suggestions as you bring on either new clients or just or sort of reallocating what what people have?
2: So almost everybody that comes to the table already has investments. And instead of selling those things and putting them in a portfolio, we will work around their existing holdings. So someone might have some securities that they like. Some might have uh, a fund or a stock we wouldn't buy, but it's it's high and there's a big capital gain to sell it. And we don't think we can invest in something that would outperform the consequences of paying those capital gains taxes. Something just might be close enough and so we, we, we basically start with that analysis and go, okay, these are the things that we're going to hold and work around for various reasons. Um, some clients you know, don't want to be in certain types of investments that invest in certain things, guns or whatever, and so we'll, we'll work around that. And then from there, it, all, it becomes about, okay, what things do we need to buy that, that will meet their short-term needs versus their long-term needs and really start to build the portfolio that way. So it's changing now. Because of what's happening in the last few months is we can't really look at bonds expected return the same way so it's forcing us over to stocks and and other asset classes other alternatives and I think you're going to see more and more of that uh, as professionals that that tailor to their portfolios are going to have to do that and I think it's I don't know what the implications are yet but as you see a world where people have to add more to the equity side from the bond side and a, and a world where there used to be you know, twice as many stocks almost as as there are today. You're seeing more and more wealth move to the same few thousand uh few thousand equities because they've run, it's run out of places to go.
0: Yeah, is that sort of a comment on the factor trends in the Nasdaq versus say, you know, small caps? Is that is that a place where is that an opportunity to look to say buy some of the stuff that's that's been lagging versus just where all the money's been going?
2: Yeah, we tend to re we tend to Rebalance down to what whatever's underperforming, and for sure that space right now is small cap and particularly small cap value it had a little bit of a run a little while ago usually leads leads the way out of recession and hopefully the pause we're seeing now is is just a pause i mean there has been an anomaly in the market for the last decade, and it's it's just big u s tech it's you know five to ten companies that are now 25 to 30 percent of the S&P 500. You have five companies that are bigger than the bottom few hundred companies in the S&P 500. The s p 500 is now 20 to 25 percent just big tech. NASDAQ is all you know, mostly uh, big tech. And so I think those indexes no longer tell the story that they used to tell. I mean, the S&P 500 used to be you know, pretty evenly divided across a whole bunch of sectors. And now the way big tech goes is the way the S&P 500 goes. And it's almost like we need to we these four or five stocks have really skewed the comparisons, but even when you take them out, small cap has underperformed large cap over the last five ten years, and that's not a trend that has sustained historically, so we hopefully we'll see a reversal of that trend, and we continue to take income that's coming from portfolios and add to the parts that have underperformed, waiting for that
0: Professor Siegel, yeah. what's your and, thoughts and, you on know, the tech sorry yeah,
1: how, I want to break in. I d I I do want to say what Peter is saying is is right. Uh, uh the, you know tech was the biggest part um back in 2000 during the internet bubble and it had almost, yeah, t- uh, almost not quite as high as today but then tech was selling at like a 100 times earnings. I mean it was way way overweighted now there are definitely you know earnings. I mean it is high priced but nowhere near what it was then. Um, but I do remember Peter back in 1980, energy was 20, I think 25 percent uh, of the S&P. I mean, the oil companies were were huge as a fraction, and of course now they're a tiny fraction of that. So it shows you the up and downs of the sectors.
2: Yeah. That's right. Everything appears invincible until it isn't, and I think that there are a lot of different narratives of how things change with big tech. You could just kind of go to any company; you could see anything—a breakup of Amazon or them not allowed to sell their own products online. You're get, they're under some regulatory pressure in Europe that could work its way to the U.S. With Netflix, what happens is Disney and and all everything else from NBC Universal, everyone else starts to have these streaming services, and people start to migrate that way. Um, I, I think we're just going to – there will be – everything stops having its day at some point. And if you think about how big these companies are, we used to not have a single trillion-dollar company. Now we have a handful of them. Apple went from never being a trillion-dollar company to Apple being it and then being at $1.5 all in just a few months. Um, for them to double in size – I mean, just think about what has to happen for them to double in size to $3 trillion in the next 10 years. They have to earn 7%, which would be far, far below – what they've earned historically, and so at, at some point, it, I think it's going to be very difficult, just from a scale perspective, um, to once you've conquered the world, you, you've conquered the world. It'll be interesting to see the spaces they go uh, to try to meet uh, the investor in, investor expectation of 20% returns year in and year out.
0: We're going now, to here, take a quick break. Also, Sorry, yeah, we're going
1: to take a break before the break. But uh, we should maybe after the break take talk a little bit about. Uh, what's called political risk, uh, the election coming up, what that could do for stocks. Um, it's it's definitely been in the news the last week. And uh, I, I'd, Peter, I certainly like your reaction uh, to some of these uh,
0: events. How how are politics entering your decision-making for the markets? How is it coming up with clients? It's obviously, a very bifurcating issue on, on both sides. So how, how, do you, how are you guys planning through this election year?
2: Yeah, there's nothing better than talking about politics uh, right now in America, right? But uh, you know, it's funny because what I've noticed is people tend to focus on one crisis of, at a time, and I, I think it's an interesting side effect of uh, when cable news really got going and they started to tell story. They they started to prolong viewership, go from just showing you know 30 minutes of news and then restart, which is how it began, and turning it more into multi-day narratives, like a story or a movie. And they really, to do that, you've got to have one big story going. And it's really started, I, I think, I see it in the way people think about things. I mean, it was all coronavirus, and then it was all protests. And, you know, now the protests are starting to subside a little bit. We're getting back to corona. I mean, it, it's see, people seem to be one thing at a time. I've not had one person you know, ask me about the election in the last 60 days because they're too busy worrying about uh, other things. Interestingly, timing-wise, You know, I hope Jeremy's right, and we don't have a second wave, and all of that. And if that's the case, then coronavirus subsides. I would, I would like to think we reach some kind of, you know, peaceful, constructive resolution uh, around uh, everything that's happening with the protests, and and we'll be closer than ever to the election, and it's going to become a very, very hot topic. I think any student of the markets knows that historically, uh, it really doesn't matter who the president is in terms of. Uh, how the stock market performs, and people f- seem to think the market performs better under Republicans than Democrats, and that's not true. And uh, the president certainly can influence and directly impact a lot of things that work their way into the market. A great example of that would be uh, President Trump reducing corporate taxes. Of course, that had an impact on the stock market, um, and and things like that. But in general, if you look at most policy, go from president to president. If, somebody raises income taxes they tend to raise it a few percentage points and someone lowers income taxes they tend to lower them a few percentage points and the capital gains rates haven't changed since i think president bush and so it's it's you need very big change on the political level to really negatively impact the market which is what usually people are worried about and i think to get to that narrative today you would need a lot of things to happen And uh... that could result in very drastic change which may or may not be better for society but that the market wouldn't you know respond favorably to
1: yeah uh... But, um, i'd like to uh... i think a lot of what you say is 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 true but i'm i'm going to push back a little bit on on this because i i watch these things very very closely um... the trump the, the corporate tax cut and you were right on focusing on that Uh, was passed with 50 votes. Uh, I mean, it was just, you know, passed 50 51 votes. Um, uh, if, if Biden wins the presidency and if the Senate even goes 50 50, which then of course gives, uh, the, you know, the vice president, uh, the breaking of the power, um, I believe, that the Biden uh, tax plan will be enacted and uh, pretty close to what it is now. There's almost a feeling of revenge. They were squeezed out and they said, once we get the levers of power, um, we're going to do our thing. And all they need is 50 votes and they can pass anything. And, um, they can repeal now if you study because Biden does have a corporate. He also has a personal tax plan, which mm-hmm. it's, uh, is also there. I'm mean, We can talk about that. But the corporate plan, tax plan is 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 huge. It, it raises corporate taxes by 1.4 trillion dollars. It it does away with about 80 percent effectively of the corporate tax cut. And Goldman Sachs has done a study saying that that is. Um, that would be uh, a 12% drop in profits long run. Now, you know, that being said, you know, my feeling is as all the liquidity that's being provided and all this other stuff and what else, the Democrats are going to uh, push more liquidity into the system, that that will offset it. But there is going to be, a this, this is, uh, there could be some really big tax changes with tiny changes going from 53-47 to 50-50. And by the way, in almost all the polls, the Democrats are now are ahead. And in fact, in the, in the money markets and in the prediction markets, they have for the first time in 12 years to take the Senate. So this is a serious consideration um, that investors. It doesn't change my bullish prediction on equities long run. I'm just telling you that this is a real risk here,
2: Peter. Oh, no, I, I completely agree, and that's the last scenario I said. Like, you have the scenario where if you have a Biden win and you have a Congress shift, then you've got the combination of things where to pay for some of the things they want to do, they're going to look at, at tax things that would have implications. Yeah, there's no... The president by themselves,
1: though, usually yeah, not but, enough but, but to but do things... But, yeah, me, I mean didn't worry about table. Biden when, when the Senate was 70-30 on the betting markets. Right now... The Senate in, has, has flipped to 40, 60-40 um, for the Democ, almost 60-40 for the Democrats, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and in no time in the last 10 years has have the prediction markets turned for the Senate. I don't care about it. the presidency. You're right. The Senate can block anything on, on that the, the the that the president and the House design. So this is with this is, this this deterioration in the incumbent GOP senators' polling throughout the polling is a serious threat. Yeah, um, and I, th- I think it's just something that uh, uh, you know one has to become aware of as a, as a threat. I mean, Goldman Sachs is, is saying it's totally not discounted in the market. And I'm, say, you know, I'm saying, well, you know, say it's a 50-50 threat, then you know, then it, it should be 6% discounted if it's a 12% profit thing. And, and you have, what, el- what else are the Democrats going to do? Now, unfortunately, another part of the Biden plan is for the ultra-wealthy. Well, I'm going to say those with incomes more than a million. He's going to eliminate all preference on dividends, Tax preference on dividends and all preference on capital gains. Now, capital gains, no capital gains being taxed at the ordinary rate, which for him jumps back up from 37 to 39.6. No yeah. capital gains preference. That would be the first time in history that, that would there that would be an income group for which there would be. Now, he still maintains capital gain preference for people whose incomes – Are below a million, and it—I guess it gets graded down. I haven't seen exactly the schedule, Um, um, but uh, it's not—it is not favorable uh, for capital um, at all um, on on the Democrat side, and um, it is becoming a very uh, real uh, risk in in the market.
0: Let me just reintroduce our guest real quick. We're talking with Peter Malucci, CEO of Creative Planning, uh, and just P- Peter to pivot the conversation a little bit. I think the you know one of the things that this year has been you know there's this, the elections gonna be a big issue, but so far this year this year we've had a few big issues with the coronavirus and. And uh, and then the protests. Can you talk a little bit how Creative has been navigating both of those situations and and you know the thoughts on, you know, just some of the relief measures people have been taking and, and how you guys have been managing through that sort of coronavirus uh reaction?
2: Well, I mean our number one priority is always obviously the clients, right? And then and then our team. And so I think the first thing we did going into the the, the pandemic was you have to take care of your clients, you have to have your team be relaxed. We basically just said, "Look, creative planning is strong. We're guaranteeing everybody's employment, everybody's salary. It doesn't matter if this takes five months or five years." And so that that came right out of the box in in mid March to really just assure our team that, "Hey, we're we're going to be here for you, so you can be there for our clients." And then, you know, that took five minutes, and then it, we got to spend the next, you know, from then till now. Taking care of our clients, I think a very big part of getting through those those types of events is to really be there for the clients and to really educate them. so where we might you know send a letter you know every couple of months, uh, I think we sent maybe ten in forty five days uh, instead of uh, doing a podcast every month you know I, I did several videos through the crisis, one that by coincidence happened to be uh, the day the market bottomed um, and 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 then we did a lot more than that. When the CARES Act was being signed in the law, we sent them a presentation on what it meant to business owners and what it meant to individuals. And then we had a CARES Act team developed of our CPA's attorneys and advisors to help advise those clients. And I think it's for those reasons that well over ninety nine percent of the clients stayed with their plan, wound up being able to buy more equities when the market was down, wound up being able to take advantage of tax tax opportunities, uh, didn't panic and really, actually, came out ahead uh, because of the situation. You know, over time, they're going to be in a much better place than if the situation had had never happened. I think at the same time, uh, every citizen, whether it's an individual or a corporation, has an obligation to the community that it's in. And uh, you know, the community is very good to us. When the coronavirus started, at, at Kansas, which is where our headquarters is uh, on the Kansas side of the, of Kansas City, um, they had were the first place to send kids home from school and in the country and so we donated a million dollars which got three million meals for kids that um, were unable to um, that relied on the school system for their meals and so we felt great about that and then going into this most most recent crisis we've committed you know pretty much all of our charitable giving for quite a while uh, 12 million to causes that I think are really at the root of, of all of this, which are, you know, I, I think, to, to really solve um, the bigger problems in society, that you have to have people with with good employment, good jobs, and making a living. And to get that, you need to have an education. And to get that, you have to have the monetary needs to get there and the personal support to get there, You know, so some scholarships and mentorships. So we, we're making a very large donation as part of the 12 million to to make sure basic needs are met, like food insecurity, making sure that we can get food to these communities so people have that off the table and they can focus on education. A big part of the donation is going to go to paying for scholarships. Um, Right now we've got, uh, we're on our way to having 121 kids where we pay for all four years of their college. And then we're assigning a mentor. We have in the past as well, assigning a mentor to each of those kids uh, to help them get through. We know that that people need an example and someone to talk to to really it's not enough to pay for college. You have to help them emotionally and psychologically get through it. And I'm proud to say a lot of Creative Planning's employees are some of those mentors. And that's another big piece of, of what we're doing. And then I think a new thing we're doing is we're adding, you know, we've got all this talent here. Um, and so we're going to work to to provide financial education uh, in the inner city here in Kansas City and then try to expand it to our other offices, other, other, other markets we're in, where we can have our lawyers, CPAs, and planners go in and help small business owners and help kids and teenagers learn about money and how to start a business and how to grow a business and make those kinds of decisions and that's the new the newer part of our initiative everything else is just expanding on what we've already done in a much bigger way but i think it's an opportunity i mean everyone can have all their political opinions and argue about what i think are our symptoms of the issue but there's so many opportunities for every american and every american company to do something that there's no political debate about, that would make a very big difference in terms of trying to get to the underlying inequities that are causing so many of these of these problems. So I'm proud to say Creative Planning and all the people here are committed to that. Uh, and I I wish that we could get um, I wish we could get people to focus on solutions like this that really break the cycle rather than deal with some of the the other issues that are that are that really even if they got solved don't fix the underlying problems.
0: That is really a you know great initiative, very commendable, amazing what you guys are doing. Are there, are there specific groups you want to so highlight in terms of who you're supporting or, or how people can get involved? How are you bringing out to employees to, to also sort of piggyback what the company's doing? So, you know,
2: everything that we're doing, we, we're a big believer that if somebody's already doing it, let's not reinvent the wheel. I mean, we're not creating food distribution centers. We're working with Feeding America and, and their outlets to, to really help us implement that. Um, we're not reinventing, you know, how to per- create a mentorship program. There's an organization called Give Something Back that piloted this in Illinois and it went well. And so we've brought it to to our community and then we make it available to employees to serve as the mentors and we're just now launching the financial literacy component and the first thing we're trying to do is find partners that, can, that have already done this and maybe piece together different different things and then just provide them manpower and capital to take it to the the next level but i think anyone can do a google search in their community no matter where they are listening to this and say what can i do um... to help somebody have a better path to a good job and if you could do that then you're making that, that, to me, is the thing that really uh, is the, uh, the very underlying issue that we just need to be frank and address, and it's not clean and it's not easy. It's easy to help. It's easy to find these causes, but um, it's, it's harder than just pointing the finger at one, one small group of people and saying they're 100% of the problem. That's, that's not going to solve. Uh, we're going to be right back here in five years or 15 years until the underlying issues get resolved
0: and uh you know i know the, there's been a lot of talks about how different rias have managed through sort of the ppp situations and 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 whether rias have been taking ppp have as as a you know you guys are getting to be a bigger business but have you thought about the the what the general trend of ppps and how how that's impacting different rias
2: well i think that that program i think was a brilliant program and it kind of was amazing to me how quick congress and the president put that together i mean i really think it was very very impressive. And if you think about it, everyone was getting laid off. The unemployment system is not designed in states to deal with everyone showing up at the same time. And then the business would have businesses would have gone under. So I thought this was just brilliant of, hey, these people are going to wind up on the unemployment lines anyway. Let's give the loans to businesses and tell the businesses they that their loans will be forgiven if they keep people employed and let's just tell people that, you know, Hey, you were only—you're only supposed to take this if you were going to have to lay off people, and really, you know, your business was going to suffer and couldn't get through uh, another way. And so, it, it, there's a lot of businesses that needed this—restaurants. If you're in the travel agents industry, we have clients that are dentists, orthodontists, uh, eye, eye surgeons. The, all of them were doing nothing. I mean, they were literally going through clients on their burn rate. On, hey, you're a dermatologist and you're paying all these people, and you're gonna, the the whole business will be bankrupt in eight weeks. PPP was made for that. And I think it wasn't a fantastic uh program. Now, a lot of RAAs, it turns out, you know, to your question, applied for that loan and said, Hey, you know, the this says that if you're really suffering and you're gonna lay people off, you can take the loan and so as a wealth management firm, some some wealth management firms took the loan. And look, if you're a smaller firm and you really couldn't get by and well then fine. Um but I do think that it is a little incongruent with what a wealth management firm is about, right? I mean you're supposed to be we tell clients whether they're individuals or businesses that bad things happen and you should have money set aside to get through a crisis and so a wealth management firm should be doing that you know they should have at least a few quarters of money on the side to get through things or access uh, to capital um, and so I think it 's problematic if you if you 're not doing those things and then I, I do think there are some business some wealth management firms that didn 't need this loan at all and took advantage of it and viewed it as free money and the taxpayer's going to pay for it so i mean it 's in three three groups you can 't just paint the whole i i, I don 't want to paint the industry with a the brush there 's a group that needed it it 's great fantastic there 's a group that probably should have planned better and there's a group that 's taking advantage of it and I think you know that 's kind of how it is with, with everything. And um, I think we're seeing it, you know, play out in this space.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and going forward and moving away from the wealth management, I mean, there's certain certain areas that are coming back at different times that I think need an extension of PPP. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, I mean, the last thing that's coming back is is, is going to be, uh, you know, concerts, sports, people who service those events I mean uh you know restaurants beginning to come back on a very limited basis um but I'm talking about small individuals that service the concerts uh in in and, and 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 the sporting events i mean I mean all you know they and some of these are small firms, and you know there's no nobody has opened up to that yet i mean uh so uh, and even Ron Johnson, a conservative Republican from uh, from Wisconsin, I think, has said we have to we have to really look at which firms are hurt longer term and be more discriminatory because really, you know, uh, there, there's a, there's a lot of firms that 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 uh, that are going to have much more trouble, and there are uh, those firms that really did not have that much trouble. So um, hopefully they will be more discriminatory, um, but I do think that uh, some extensions are needed.
2: Yes, I agree. I think that that it was a quick re, you know reaction to get this in place, but that that there's clearly now a delineation between who can survive this and get through it just fine, uh, and those that um, those that really really need a few more months or they're just not going to exist.
1: And and Peter, you're totally right. I mean, I, I praise the the, the Congress. Being as fractious as it is, could get together and get the PPP program and some of these other programs together so quickly um, is is remarkable. And it it it, it in, in times of true crisis, despite all the squabbling, we can come together and <laughs> and do something good. Um, and I think that that is a positive.
0: Yeah peter for the future of your business as you think about where you're going you've been one of the faster growing rias how do you think about you know where where you're planting your seeds for future growth where how you're you're trying to add more advisors or or, or sort of what your your growth strategy is to sort of keep keep your business on on track there
2: yeah we are one of the larger and faster growing uh, independent wealth management firms but you know independent wealth management firms are so small compared to the big brokerage houses you know you look at Morgan Stanley's of the world they're trillions and trillions of dollars and you know we manage about 50 billion um and so really to what we're trying to do is get to a point where we can become the first independent wealth management firm that you know if you ask somebody on the street who, who who we were who's creative planning they would know and i mean there's we're clearly not there today and nor is any independent wealth management firm we have the majority of our um, growth is coming you know one client at a time and we're trying to complement that with doing some acquisitions that make sense in markets where we can go from say working with four hundred or five hundred people in a city to working with a thousand by partnering with you know like-minded people and, and getting the economies of scale and so we're really starting to look at that more and more in a way that we didn't uh, used to even just a year ago and uh... it's been it's been going really well as just another way to continue to grow and it allows us to become uh... more efficient and and provide more specialization as an example you know, five years ago, we had lawyers that did wills and trusts, and now we have trust settlement and probate settlement and real estate law and tax law and corporate law and special needs and so on. And so when you're a little bit bigger, you're allowed to add more specialties, uh, more, more specialists, more talent that's very niche so that they can support the people advising the clients and, and provide that extra value. And our industry is moving that way, and we want to continue to be a leader in that regard.
0: And when you think about sort of looking across for people who may be listening and think about trying to find a bigger firm, what are what are what what do you what do you say is the characteristic of the people who are joining? Like, what are they looking to get out of it? And and are they staying on with you, or Are they just tr- transitioning their business? How how do you think about the people listening who might want to join?
2: Well, they tend to be, I mean, very similar to us to be, to begin with, um, which is what interests them and interests us. They're financial planning led. They take a needs based approach to investing. Um, they're very allocation focused. They don't, they don't handle it. Uh, they don't really, uh, participate with market timing and, and things like that. Um, and they tend to have those characteristics and we prefer, you know, and, and almost everything we've done is people staying on board with us and want to, their team is, stays with us and they want to continue to grow and compete in that local market. And instead of, you know, taking on, uh, you know, 20, 30 local competitors, it allows them to have a little bit, um, a little bit more um, of a presence locally, and so we're able to, together, do something we couldn't do apart.
0: Very good. We're starting our final uh, sort of final few comments here. Any, For sort of any closing thoughts, Pete, things that about creative planning you want people to know, how to, who to find you and, and, and where to reach out to if they want to become a client or, or, or a partner, as you were just talking about.
2: Oh, I'd love that. If they want to reach out to us, they can go to our website, creativeplanning.com, or they can call us. Uh, numbers on the on, numbers are on the websites, too, and, and we'd love to, if it's a prospective client, introduce them to a local wealth manager, or if they're uh, interested, if it's an advisor listening and they're interested in learning more, uh, they can call in and ask to learn more, too, and they'd get matched up with the right people.
0: Professor, any closing thoughts from you on, on this week?
1: Yeah, um, still bullish uh, on the market. Um, And uh, we didn't talk too much about uh, what's going on in the virus. We know there's spikes, but there's also good news on vaccines and um, uh, the potential of vaccines. And uh, I think there's several states, three trials, and even uh, the epidemiologists who were cautious at the beginning, I sense are getting more optimistic um, that we're going to have them available sooner rather than later. Of course, there will be a size distribution, the size of the distribution, how we're going to get yeah. them to the vulnerable people first, first liners, first uh, doctors, etc. But um, uh, there is more optimism on that front. Uh, we have to say goodbye. Thank
0: you, Professor Peter It's Been great discussion. Thanks to our producer, sound engineer. Have a great week, everybody.